Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. So, I've never particularly considered myself a a believer of the paranormal, nor am I a complete skeptic. I mean, I turn all the lights on to go to the toilet if I've watched a scary film or have been reading some decent paranormal stories, so I must believe, at least to an extent. Anyway, my dad lives in the Scottish Highlands, has done so for the last 20 plus years, and I drive the 14 hour round trip to visit as often as possible, two or three times a year. I've always loved this journey, especially if I'm by myself as there's around two or three hours of motorway or highway, followed by back roads through the mountains, through the forests as well, and around locks where I can put music on and pretty much just switch off. For the most part, there's little to no phone signals, so I generally download a couple of playlists before I go, pop my phone in its holder, and blindly follow the sat-nav until it loses signal. I've been doing this journey for years, so really I have no requirement for the sat-nav, but I love to try and beat the ETA, It can also be quite handy when it has signal to let me know if there's any accidents or diversions ahead and just stuff like that. Anyhow, on this particular journey I was coming home. I'd set off at nightfall as there's far less traffic on the overnight journeys and less chance to get stuck behind holidaymakers, especially caravans. Man, do I hate caravans. I was travelling south though in January and the weather was something else. My car showed an outside temperature of minus 12 degrees Celsius, and the snow barely stopped. It hadn't stopped since I arrived at my dad's house four days earlier. My wipers were on full speed, but still the snow kept piling up on the windscreen, meaning that I had to drive around half my usual speed. 
Every now and then, there'd be a short break in the snowfall and everything just looked sort of magical, I guess. It was like driving through a Christmas card, maybe. But looking down into the valleys as well, everything was covered in a thick white blanket and lit up by the dim glow of the overhead moon, making it possible to still make out the river weaving its way through the cracks and the deepest crevices, reflecting what little light there was. On these roads, there's really nothing in terms of lighting, and what's worse is that there can be quite often a, a large drop on either side of the road. Couple this with three or four feet of fresh snow and an inability to see any of the road, and you've got the potential of a lot of accidents. In order to combat this though, there's eight foot high sticks at the side of the road with reflective tape at the top, red on one side and white on the other. You drive between these and you should be okay. So, I was driving and driving. The snow just hadn't given up and I was focusing on the red and white reflective tape to keep on the road. Up ahead I saw the dim taillights of another car, a welcome sight as it was the first I'd seen in like over an hour. Everyone else must have known that it was a bad idea to be out in this. But instead of focusing on the reflective sticks, I was now focusing on the taillights of the car ahead. I couldn't quite work out what make or model it was. It was a lightish, sort of white or light grey SUV of some sort. Holiday makers, I guessed. I thought this because I could make out their roof box and bike rack. They too must have ignored the warnings to not drive tonight. But when I sped up to try and make some ground between us, it seemed to speed up too. If I slowed down, they slowed down too. The space between us remained a, a constant. I decided that my headlights must have been annoying them in their rearview mirror, so I kept the distance as it was, blindly following their lights whilst being mindful to try and keep my tires in the most shallow bits of the snow on the road, avoiding the occasional snow mound. A bit of time lapsed, I have no idea how much to be honest, as I had now switched off entirely, listening to my mix of 90s old school dance, with the howl of the wind and the splatter of the snow on my windscreen, and in between wiper swishes, watching the red lights ahead of me, glowing in the dark like the eyes of a demonic beast, intent on keeping its distance. And it was at this point that I noticed the car ahead start to take a turn off the road, and felt a sudden sense of sadness and sort of loneliness, I guess. I was all of a sudden losing my travel buddy it was the only other sign of human life that I'd had for like the last few hours. But I then realized I've been so intent on following the car in front of me I had no idea where I was. Which isn't a, a huge issue I guess. I essentially just had to stay on the same road for like three hours until I reached a fork in the road, turn right and then onto the main road and see a little roundabout. Bizarrely though, my sat-nav now just displayed lost GPS signal and had me as a sort of a dot on a white background, convenient as everything was covered in snow anyway. But it never did this. It usually downloaded enough of the route to at least keep the map on the screen. It was then that I got an overwhelming urge to follow the car ahead. I knew that I shouldn't have. I literally had no turnings I needed to make off the road and I really didn't recognize the road that they were taking. And, the more I think of it, I've never noticed a turnoff that goes down the side of the mountain like this. But maybe I, I just never looked. I decided to follow it. Of course I did, I mean, if I ever think I shouldn't do something because it could end up in regret, I'm the sort of person that would probably do it. 
Although, as I neared the turning, I started to doubt myself and I thought that I should stay on the road, but no matter how much I wanted to keep the wheels going straight, my hands and body just wouldn't follow it. I turned off. Immediately, I didn't recognize this road as well. I didn't recognize my old road when I was on that either, to be honest. So, I guess it really didn't make too much difference. I mean, everything was white, everything was dark, lots of trees and the reflective sticks. If anything, it looked exactly the same, like I hadn't turned off at all. 10 or 15 minutes later though, and the car ahead started pulling away from me. Only slowly, but faster than I wanted to drive in these conditions, so I let it. It couldn't really get away anyway, as there was nowhere to go from this road, so I figured that I'd see it again shortly. Another 10 minutes or so passed of driving alone, and then, in the distance, I spotted the lights again, and this time I was catching up quickly. The lights were flashing in the dark distance, though. Amber and then nothing. Amber and nothing again. Great. My travel buddy has got their hazard lights on, and they've stopped. I decided that I'd have to pull over and see what was wrong. As I pulled up behind my buddy, a white Audi, possibly a Q3 or a Q5, I'm not sure. I noticed the amount of snow on their car. Surely way too much for them to have just stopped. And weirdly, there's no tire tracks for me to pull into. But it was 100% the same car that I'd been following. I knew that much. I came to a stop just as a, a woman in a blue coat ran to my window waving her arms. I'm not the most uh, empathetic of people, but it didn't take much to read the relief on her face and see that she'd been crying. She had to pull over because apparently she had a puncture and then explained that she'd been waiting there, unable to call anyone as there's no signal and thought that she'd have to wait until the morning before she could leave. She had her ignition on while she listened to music and tried to keep the DVD player running for her little one, pressing the heated seat button each time it turned itself off until it just wouldn't turn back on. Her battery had completely died at this point. I thought that she was being a bit dramatic. I mean, it was literally only a few minutes that she'd been pulled away from me. I mean, she couldn't have been here long. But over four and a half hours... Allegedly, that's how long she'd been there. Over four and a half hours, she'd sat in her car with her 18-month-old child in minus 12 degrees Celsius temperatures with no phone signal, food, or drink and nowhere to heat the inside of the car up. So this wasn't the car in front of me for the last two hours, but it looked exactly the same, even down to the dark gray roof box and bike rack. Coincidence? Yeah, I guess so. A really big one, but that's all I can logically think of. But I suddenly felt angry. Angry that the car in front of me hadn't stopped to help. Maybe they thought that I would? That's a pretty big presumption of them, though. So I asked her if she tried to flag them down. A look of confusion or concern spread across her face and she told me that there hadn't been a single car go past while she'd been there. But I've been... I stopped myself from going any further, obviously, from explaining that I'd been following a car that didn't exist for over two hours. I mean, she was scared enough from being sat here in the dark for the last few hours. In any case, 
I jumped out and looked in her car, assisted by the light from my headlights. I saw her little one was fast asleep. I asked her if she wanted some coffee from my flask and she said yes. I knelt down in the snow. She'd already tried removing the nuts and had left the wrench on the ground next to the wheel. It was covered in a layer of snow and freezing cold. But I jacked up her car, removed her tire and replaced it with the, the pitiful space saver from the boot. I lit a smoke and pulled my car next to hers, connected the batteries and instructed her to start up her car. Once it came back to life, we stood and we spoke and I asked her where she was going. Sterling, she replied. Brilliant, I'll follow behind you. Again, I thought. That's on my route. She thanked me for helping her, for talking to her and for calming her down. She thanked me for the coffee and gave me a quick hug. Quick enough to be meaningful but short enough not to be overly awkward from a stranger. She got in her car and she set off. I got in my car. I sat for a moment staring at the all-too-familiar taillights of the white grayish SUV with a roof box and bike rack, lit up a smoke and set off. I sped up, I caught her up, I slowed down and she pulled away and her speed just remained constant. I kept wondering how she hadn't seen the other car though, the other car that was exactly the same as her car. I kept wondering how now I knew where we were but yet we'd not turned off or turned on to any other roads. As we neared the civilization of the A roads, I started to become aware of the tracks left by my new travel buddy. The tracks in the snow left by their tires. The tracks in the snow that I'm 99% certain weren't there when I was following her, or the other her I guess you could say, before I stopped and offered her coffee. In any case, the snow eased as we entered a town called Kilmahog. We reached a junction and she turned right. I turned right. We were now driving in sleet, which is wet snow that leaves a sort of dirty grey and brown slush on the ground. Wet snow that makes seeing much harder than normal dry snow. But as we approached the roundabout, she indicates left for the first turning and I indicated right for the last and pulled alongside her. She looked, waved goodbye and she left. Now, I've thought a lot about this experience and all I can put it down to is that someone or rather something took me that way that night, diverted from my normal route, made me feel as though I had no other option but to follow that car, guided me to a stranded woman and a child in freezing conditions with no food, water or heating. I'm honestly still unsure how to explain it. I've not really thought about it too much, I guess. I don't like not being able to understand things or give them a logical explanation. Because I, I guess it makes me feel uneasy. I've certainly never thought too much about the paranormal before this. I've always presumed if the paranormal was real, it would present itself to me if it needed to. If not, I would just live in blissful ignorance. But now, I don't know... And to me, that's probably worse than knowing. Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time that you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. 
with apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. So this is a story from maybe around 10 years ago. I was 16 or 17 at the time. I guess I kind of brushed it off because... Well, nothing really bad ended up happening to me and I put it down to a, oh well, bad stuff happens to you when you're a woman walking alone at night. But looking back now, I realized just how creepy it was. You see, I was coming home on my own on a Thursday night after being out at the pub with some friends. We'd been out a little more centrally in the city, so I had to take a bus on my own to get home to my residential neighborhood. I had done this route hundreds of times, so I didn't see it as being particularly dangerous, especially as I live in a fairly nice neighborhood. It was only about maybe 11pm, but because I lived in a residential area, and it was the middle of the working week, when I got off the bus at my stop, it was absolutely dead, and there was nobody around. Again though, this didn't really spook me, particularly as it was only a 5 or 10 minute walk away from the bus stop to my house. But as I turned down a long residential street that leads towards my house, I noticed a guy walking further down the street. This certainly put me a little bit on edge, but I was reassured by the fact that he had his back to me and was walking away from me down the street. As I kept walking down the street, I noticed the guy turn around and sort of look at me. That's fine, I thought. I always turn around when I hear somebody walking behind me at night too, so nothing weird about that. But I noticed that as we got further and further down the street, he kept doing it, kept checking that I was still walking in the same direction as him. At this point, I'm starting to get a bit freaked out, particularly as I'm painfully aware that we're the only two people around. Just as I was weighing up what I should do, he turned down the path of one of the houses to our right, and man, I breathed a huge sigh of relief. He was going into his house. I was just being paranoid the whole time, I thought. The houses in my area are all terraced with the front doors being sort of embedded into an enclave at the front of the house. What this means is that from where I was standing, about 50 feet away, I couldn't actually see the front of the house as it was obscured by the wall. However, I saw him walk down the path and disappear into the front door enclave, 
so my logical conclusion was that he was letting himself into the house. Now, I can't describe exactly what made me feel like this, but after that initial sort of feeling of relief wore off, I suddenly got this really bad feeling. So I stopped walking and just sort of stood there. There was this tiny voice in my head that said, what if he just was faking you out? The feeling became so strong that I stepped off the pavement and ducked down behind a parked car and just sort of waited. After a couple of minutes of crouching behind the car staring at the house, I saw movement and at that, my heart stopped. The man came back down the path, out into the street and was now looking around, looking for me. Which means that he must have been waiting for me in the doorway knowing that if I kept walking, I wouldn't see him until it was too late. Unfortunately for him, his hiding place also meant that he couldn't see me. So when I didn't walk past as he anticipated, he had come back out onto the street to try and work out where I was. Looking back now, I probably should have called the police at this point, but as a scared teenager, my fight or flight brain took over and I sprinted down one of the roads running perpendicular to the street that we were on, as I knew that I could use it to take a slightly sort of longer route home. I didn't stop running too until I got home where I quickly double locked the door behind me and amazingly I, I didn't even think to wake anyone in my family up. I literally just, well, went to bed and then woke up the next morning and went to school. I dread to think what would have happened to me if I hadn't have just suddenly got a bad feeling and stopped walking that night. Part of me thinks that on some sort of a subconscious level, my brain must have registered not hearing the front door shut after the man had approached it, and therefore triggered an alarm in my head. But I had no perception of this at the time, and I guess the lesson learned here is always trust your gut. So, I figured that I'd share an unnerving thing that happened to me in the woods. It's the only incident where I was fully aware and believed that my life was actually in danger. It happened in southern Kentucky in Wayne County. Specifically, what I was told was Edwards Mountain. This happened in the fall and I must have been around 19 at the time. So, my friend Kay showed me this mountain range kind of location where a cave was. We had started to get heavy into caving, and if you know anything about the area, feel free to look it up, but the entire county is riddled with cave systems. Ridiculously so, in fact. We used to keep a map of all of the ones that we'd found or could possibly feasibly get into. Disclaimer, too, that this is really dangerous and you should be really careful when you do it. I don't mind revealing locations as well, but if you get injured or shot, that's on you. There's not much you can do to be disrespectful of the area, to be honest. I suppose you should try to be respectful and do things safely, but most country people just dig the heck out of them or use them as trash dumps anyway, so I suppose it's not that big of a deal. Some of the caves I know are very dangerous though, and it's a miracle none of us have ever been harmed. Also, there are toxic caves as well, so be aware of that. This cave though... It was kind of odd. It was a large cavern, but part of me hesitates to even call it a cave because it was kind of like a cliff overhang as well, but 
you could definitely walk inside to a central chamber that was bigger than most apartments. And there was a tunnel that you could exit on the left-hand back area, if you sort of shimmy-squeezed yourself through, that is. It's not far off the road in the least. It's on a backcountry road, and then there's a small gravel road that you sort of turn off. This road goes into the woods and banks up and left, and it keeps going. I've never seen what's at the end of it, to be honest. Generally, you just park on the bend, and the mouth is up an embankment. So... I've been here twice before with Kay and never ran into other people and never saw anything of note. We never really thoroughly explored the area either, which I wanted to. We would hike along the ridge to see if there were any other entrances. He was never interested because he thought the place was boring and had been there multiple times before, since it was essentially in his neck of the woods anyway. Anyway, another friend and I are hanging out, Jay and I've managed to get him onto the caving adventure hype train, so I suggest we go and sort of check this place out and walk along the ridge and stuff. We take his car and he brings his handgun. Jay was 23 at the time. We get to a gravel road and as we're coming in, a small pickup truck is coming out. An older, haggy-looking woman is driving. Jay was driving a small car, so we couldn't go too far off the road lest we get stuck but she wouldn't budge and let us around. Jay starts to get aggravated and starts cussing to himself. She just mean mugs us. After a few minutes, she finally yields and pulls to the side enough to let us pass. At this point, I would also like to note that as far as I knew, nobody lived back there. At least I was never told anyone did, and there were no signs of any kind posted about private property or anything. The gravel road has no name as well, and as far as we were concerned, and new people come up here often, this was perfectly fine to be here. Jay and I park the car in the band and get out. We check out the main chamber where there's an old fire and start to walk around the ridge on the left-hand side. But three things of note as well. We found a, a sifter, not unusual. People dig for arrowheads and pottery in this county all the time but I smell the distinct ghastly smell of, like, bone marrow. I assume that there's a dead animal, but I can't find any carcass, and the smell is strong. I figure since vultures are very common and nest in the cliffy areas, there must be a nest somewhere with a carcass in it. We also find a rope anchored on an extremely steep part of the cliff where there are no handholds to easily climb it. So, naturally, we climb up the rope and at the top is a flat area with a chair. From there, you can climb a little higher on some other levels, but it didn't really go anywhere. From here, we're now pretty high up, like three or four stories, and can clearly see the parked area from above. And this is when that terrible pickup truck comes peeling down the gravel road from the main road. At first, we don't think anything of it, until it stops a little ways in front of our car and a guy gets out with a rifle. He walks down to our car and starts sort of looking around in the windows and surveys the surrounding area, luckily never looking up. At this point, we crouch and we just sort of watch. Then another guy in the truck steps out, also with a rifle, and shouts, Did you find them? The first guy says, I don't see them anywhere, let's keep looking. He goes back to the truck, gets in, and they drive off the road. 
As soon as they were out of sight, we both scaled down the cliff as fast as we could and we booked it to the car and we took off and never went back. To this day, I'm still not sure if it was private property or something illegal that had been going on, but I am completely convinced that they were looking for us and would not have hesitated to shoot us. It seems like they knew that we were there and part of me is convinced that that mean mug lady tipped them off. You hear stories all the time about people getting shot over pot patches in the middle of the woods here and I have seen one pot patch in the woods myself but this was fairly close to the main road so it seems a little bit odd that it would be that. Maybe it was private property and we just didn't know but there's definitely better ways to go about it. And country people can be absolutely off their head so who knows maybe it was just that. Either way, I'm just glad that we never got the chance to meet these guys because if we had, I don't think it would have been good. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This happened around 13 years ago near Elizabeth Lake in California. My kids and I were looking to buy a house. There wasn't a lot in my price range, but in those days, we just wanted a place to call our home. I remember that it was a sunny day, but it wasn't too hot. So we sort of got new listings from the realtor and off we went. We had such high hopes and everything was going pretty well and we found a few hopefuls, but for some reason when it came down to the last house that was located on a hill, the realtor told us that she wouldn't be going up there with us. I asked her how we would be getting into the house and she told me for some reason that there was no point. So nobody ever locks it? Well, I didn't understand what she meant by that and we all thought that she started acting very strange at the end there but after looking at the pictures of the place we were sort of excited to go and look. The directions were simple enough, go up this winding road passing two houses on the right and up at the very top of the hill overlooking an old unused road stood a large white two-story house with black trim. It looked a bit tired and the yard was somewhat overgrown but apart from that it looked okay. We pulled into the driveway and sat there for a minute staring at the bright red front door. The house didn't look scary at first, all we saw was potential. So I went up to the door with my kids behind me anxiously waiting to go exploring. You would think from our history with the paranormal too that I would feel something the second that I touched the door handle, but I didn't. 
As you walk in though, you're met by a staircase that went up to a landing where it sort of turned left and then they turned into an open carpeted stairs that went up to the kitchen and living room on the second floor. To the left was a door to the garage and to the right was a bedroom and then three more bedrooms joined by a long hall that went straight back and a bathroom at the very end. I decided to look in the garage first to check the foundation and the pipes and that's where my daughter Ginny saw a little cross in the sill of the window. Then she noticed another one on the other window. Not thinking anything about it, she asked if we could keep them so she could make some earrings and I didn't see why not. After all, they were just left behind. As I started up the open stairs though, I all of a sudden felt dizzy as if my world was upside down and even almost fell over, grabbing the rail, I sort of sat down on the top step, and my son Cody came barreling up the stairs and stopped halfway up and put his hand on his throat while making a face and ran up the rest of the way. I felt better after a moment, so I looked around some more with them. There were large windows everywhere and a door that opened to a balcony overlooking the cliff part of the back of the house, where we stood for a bit, taking in the beauty, but all of us got a uneasy feeling so we went in to further check the place out. Cody was looking at the windows in the living room where he kept picking things up yelling at his sister that he found another one. My daughter started down the stairs and she lost her footing and I remember her stating that if we got the place we would have to put in another handrail. I looked at the bedroom in the front thinking that this would be my room but as we walked back the darker and cooler the rooms were which I mentioned would be great in the summer, I suppose. I was looking in the bathroom where I suddenly got this cold chill go up through my spine and all my hair instantly raised up. It was a feeling that I'd had many times before. I heard a breath next to me all of a sudden and I knew that if I looked, I might see something. So I turned my head, deflecting my eyes with my hand as I passed by the mirror as I walked out that's when my older son, who was in the back bedroom, pointed out that there was a cross over the windows and the door to the room as well. Cody then pulled some of the same small crosses out of his pocket and said that he thought Ginny wanted them, so he'd been picking them up after her. I ran to the cross over the window and then to the door and told them that these crosses are different than the ones in his pocket. These are painted over and were meant to stay. At that point... We began freaking out a bit. We saw that over every opening, every window, on both sides of every door, there were these crosses. Ginny made a good point too. As much as we wanted to all just run away, we had to put all the crosses back where we found them. We went together from room to room and put every one of them back where we took them from. Then we started at the front door. Ginny and I were the last to step out of the house. Ginny's words were, wow, it's so much warmer outside. And pretty much as soon as she said that, I got pushed from the back, almost making me run into her. We quickly hurried out after that, and I asked the realtor why she had even shown us that house, but apparently she had never been in the house herself. But you can bet that after hearing what we had to say, she never would. We were talking about it later and we all came up with the same conclusion that the house must have seen a lot of evil. We wonder how long they were tormented before they realized that whatever was there must have been too strong for their faith.
how bad does it have to be before you throw in the towel, right? They must have been really frightened for the owner to have painted over so many crosses like that. Whatever took place in that house, it must have been frightening. When I was a 16 to 17 year old girl, I would babysit for a set of twin 8 year olds that lived across the street from me. It was the ideal summer job too. I ferried them to and from various activities and in between, we spent nearly every second outside. Every day was a new adventure. Adding to the fun too, the twins' family owned a medium-sized sweet-as-pie poodle mix who loved people more than anything. This dog was incredibly smart, gentle, and loving too. She honestly wouldn't have even harmed a fly. We would count on her to go on adventures with us. She would follow us at a far pace, exploring on her own, but would always keep us within earshot. Whenever we met new people, she would gleefully bound towards them, eager to lick them and get pets and express just how happy she was to see them. She was honestly the best dog that I've ever known. I remember one late summer morning too, we decided to spend a few hours drawing on the front driveway in chalk. The kids drew and rolled up and down the street on their scooters. And while I laid on the driveway with the dog, soaking up the heat, not many adults were around. It was a weekday and most were at work, but we couldn't have felt safer in the midday sun and the safety of our suburb. Occasionally a neighbor would walk down the street and the dog would slide up to them in greeting while I spent a few minutes making a small talk. This continued for a while and... I was getting really relaxed by the heat and the sound of the kids playing and laughing. The dog was resting beside me, dozing, when suddenly I heard a low growl coming from her. It was a noise that I'd never heard her make before and it took me by surprise. I sat up and looked around immediately and there, coming down the sidewalk towards me and the kids, was a man that I'd never seen before. He was older and a bit haggard looking and he was watching us like a hawk. The dog was having none of him, and her growl slowly got louder and more intense as he meandered towards us. This should have been a sign to me, but I didn't know anything. I was 17 and too young to understand to trust my gut. All I knew was to be polite. He stopped with a laser focus on me and started trying to make conversation with me. This was normal, to be honest. I mean, other people had walked by and done the same thing throughout the morning. But he was asking weirder questions. Questions about our plans for the day, what I was doing with the kids, where their parents were, etc. It was unnerving, but he was an adult, so I tried to answer in as polite but vague a way as possible. He kept trying to get closer to me as well. The children were mercifully racing away on their scooters for most of this experience. And his gaze turned into something like a, a leer, maybe. Anytime he moved near, though, the dog would growl louder and she started barking viciously. I had never seen her act like this and it actually got to a point where I was holding her back and trying to calm her down, all while apologizing for her behavior. He faltered in the presence of her, though. Even though she wasn't big, she was standing her ground and protecting me even though the threat hadn't materialized in my mind. But just as quickly as he'd come closer, he backed off, said a quick goodbye, and 
hurried away down the street. I never saw this guy again and in the many years I babysat for that family, I never saw their dog behave that way either. I've always, always wondered if she sensed some sort of threat from him that I wasn't able to pick up on that day. I truly think that she protected me and the kids from something potentially really awful. It could have been nothing and I know all of you guys listening to this may think it's silly to even share this but it's just an experience that I've never forgotten. I'm grateful for that dog and I'm grateful that nothing else happened that day. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared Podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.